welcome to my new show, Football with Grant Wall. I'm Grant Wall. I am teaming up with my friends at the Total Soccer Show Network, which I'm really excited about. I'll have two episodes a week on Mondays and Thursdays, and I'm going to be interviewing some of the most prominent and fascinating figures in the soccer world. You can do me a huge favor as listeners by hitting the subscribe button, by telling your friends, and by providing a rating and a review that helps people find the show. It's huge to do that. Really appreciate that. Today's guest is Tyler Adams of the U.S. men's national team and RB Leipzig, which returned to play this past weekend in the German Bundesliga. But first, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the weekend with Taylor Rockwell of Total Soccer Show. Taylor, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that you have uh, the most prominent and fascinating figures in the soccer world and then also me on the show. That's very kind of you. <laughs> this is really fun. I, we've talked before on podcasts and obviously uh, just as friends, but uh, to, to be able to work with you guys, uh, you and Daryl Grove has just been a lot of fun getting the show going and is really cool just to have you on this first episode. I mean, it, that's very kind of you. It's very surreal for us because you're, you're a person we've read for a very long time since before we did the show. So uh, it's pretty cool to get to be working with you because I think the first time I met you was many years ago and I very awkwardly like handed you a business card without <laughs> maybe introducing myself. I was just like, there's Grant Wall. I'm going to put a card out and see what he does. And you're like, cool. Nice to meet you, strange person with a beard. Bye. <laughs> And see, I, I I didn't run away. You You guys have done such great work building up uh, your show, your network, uh, and I'm really excited to be part of that network. And I'm really excited for soccer to be starting yeah. again. Uh, this last few months has just been really difficult for so many people, obviously, with the virus. And I do feel like a little piece of humanity came back mm -hmm. this weekend. Um, and... I know there's risks and I get it. And you certainly hope that there's not going to be a, a spike of cases uh, in the Bundesliga, but just to watch live soccer again, even if it was in an empty stadium felt great. And I wanted to know, how did you experience it? Um, I experienced it by setting an alarm, which is the first time I've kind of had to do that on a Saturday in a very long time. Uh, so that was very <laughs> exciting. But then like tuning into it was definitely strange because especially with it being the Derby, with it being Dortmund and Schalke, you do still have that expectation of like the booming crowd noise and here we go with the atmosphere. And then it is almost like a kickoff and like you expect it to be like rec league soccer with orange slices or something because it is that quiet. So it did take a little bit of time for me to get used to it. But then I think once I stopped looking at my phone and instead really focused in on the TV, that also definitely helped. Yeah. No, I mean, like it was surreal in a way. I mean, yeah. we had seen a couple of empty stadium games uh, before the virus really hit, including involving Dortmund in Champions mm -hmm. League against PSG. And it is a different game um, to experience. And I do wonder, do you think they might on the broadcast make some tweaks moving forward? Do you like the idea of maybe some piped in sound or something like that? I like the idea, uh, a friend of mine, Ryan Bailey, who I do occasionally do shows with, uh, had the suggestion that players should have their own music for when they score. Like they should get to choose their <laughs> celebration music, which I do kind of like. I don't really want the piped in music because that feels like I can handle just once you get used to the quietness of the stadium, if you've watched like a USL League One game before, maybe you've uh, you've heard some almost closed door stadiums that weren't closed door. So you can get used to it, but with the piped in music, then it's just this weird, like I don't see anybody in the stands, but I hear people cheering and suddenly I'm confused and maybe the stadium is haunted. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, it was just um, good to see soccer again. Yes, yes, you know, yes. and and let's talk about Dortmund. Sure. Uh, four four nothing against Schalke. Mm-hmm. This is one of the biggest rivalries in world soccer. Um, Schalke was pretty terrible <laughs> from the start, <laughs> and I felt bad for Weston McKenney. Yeah. I he was part part of that, and they really did get overrun. I thought, um, and. You know, for Dortmund right now, like even though it is a four-team race, I'm starting to feel like it's a bit of a two-team race. Are you getting that sense? Uh, yes, and maybe like a one-team race, and then also two, sort of in the distant <laughs> uh, like vicinity. Because uh, it was nice that we did have Dortmund get the win uh, to kind of keep the wheels turning. Same thing with Gladbach, but then Bayern today, even though it was only two 0 against Union, uh, but it's on the road, uh, albeit without much crowd noise. So I'm sure they ha- handled that, but it could have been worse, and it did seem like Bayern very much hit the ground running, also ready to go. So I think to your question, yeah, I'm inclined to say if it's going to be uh, a title race, it's going to be Dortmund versus Bayern. That's my feeling right yeah. now. And, and they are meeting each other on May 26th, yeah, by the are. way, at Dortmund, which is going to be a huge game. I think it's like a midweek game, which is odd, but uh, will take place in, in the empty stadium that's, uh-huh. um, that was so weird to see the other day. Uh, you know, there was that one scene at the end of the game when the Dortmund players went over and, and saluted the empty mm-hmm. yellow wall, which I thought was probably, for me at least, the image of the weekend, which mm-hmm. sort of encapsulated everything. Um, but uh, leading into this Dortmund game, a lot of U.S. soccer fans were yeah. really excited heading into the, like the hour before the game. We see Gio Reyna is going to make his first start, 17-year-old American. He's such a promising player and then it didn't quite come through on the broadcast i don't know if you noticed this like the the sound was off and it was too loud and like sort of you got this whisper of of sorts from the the announcer saying that gio reyna had hurt himself during the warm-up and actually wasn't gonna play in this game and that was a really big bummer uh, heading into it because i think he would have been in a position to have a good game and, and potentially Score goals. Yeah, I think he probably would have started where uh, Torkin Hazard ends up starting. So we would have seen him as mm-hmm. one of those attacking three. And Hazard obviously scores a goal, has a big day. Stands to reason Gio Reyna probably could have done that, especially since Schalke looks so slack. I am less of the detail-oriented when it comes to the Total Soccer Show, which I do with Daryl Grove. Daryl tends to be the one who like really focuses in and triple checks. And I made myself triple check to make sure that Gio Reyna was starting before he tweeted or before I tweeted about it. And then literally as soon as I hit tweet... He was like uh, scratched with injury, and I do sort of feel like maybe that's my fault. Yeah, <laughs> you're blaming me too. I, that's I, fair. <laughs> yeah, I, it's I, I'm concerned right now because there, there really isn't much information no. besides it's a calf injury. We don't know how long he's going to be out. Uh, hopefully, it won't be long, and it's something where he can keep building on uh, on what he's doing. I also want to get him on the show as an interview guest because. Um, I think that would be great. I actually heard his voice, Gio Reyna's, for the first time uh, on Fox last week. He has a much deeper voice than I was expecting. Has there been a player who didn't? Has there been a player whose voice didn't match that you can recall? Or or generally speaking, is it the same? For me, it's usually the height that throws me off when there's a player that you assume is going to be six foot four and they're five foot six. (laughs) You know, like sometimes guys have higher voices than I expect, a little bit like Mike Tyson. Um, Or yours truly. used to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> me too. Uh, Stu Holden used to actually be that way. But yeah. um, now that I'm used to it, I, I don't think about it. That's true. Uh, now, Erling Holland scores again. He does. Uh, for Dortmund. Uh, he scored a lot of goals this year. Um, 
he's like the main reason I think Dortmund actually has a shot to win mm-hmm. this league at this point, just because he is, you know, just on fire basically this entire season. Um, and then after the game, he had <laughs> what is becoming a trend. He did this post-game interview where he's like Ivan Drago from the Rocky <laughs> movie or like some robot of some sort who like literally gives one word answers. And, yeah. and this is like my nightmare. <laughs> if I was like a sideline reporter, like what's going on there? It's almost like Greg Popovich style of I'm going to make this <laughs> deliberately antagonistic so that you won't want to do this again. <laughs> like, like they, yeah, they asked him, why did you go applaud the yellow wall? Why not? Like, was it for the fans? Yes. Like he's very just, yeah, to the point. I think he did get a little bit, more like explanatory later on in that interview or like I think he did another one right after it but for that one I I can't tell if it was just like ask a stupid question and maybe he's just gonna give you that sort of answer or if it is just he enjoys kind of messing with people that could also well be the case well there was an actual video from earlier in the year as a Champions League post game when he was still uh with Salzburg Mm -hmm. and they actually showed he was doing the one word thing in a post game okay. interview and like the press officer guy for Salzburg pulled him aside and must have he said something to him which i think was don't do this <laughs> and and then he stopped acting like a punk but um i i'm very curious to see like do i want to try and get Erling Holland on this show do i do i not do we do we want to to bring him on and see how that goes uh, I mean, I think it'd be fascinating. I think it would be interesting. <laughs> You'd have to have all of these different like maneuvers in place and how do you deal and like maybe you need an, an extra amount of questions just in case and you could sort of steer into the like one word answers and that could just be the whole interview. I think go for it because if nothing else, he's a big name and uh, you know, he'd, <laughs> he'd probably bring in some listeners. You want that Norwegian demo, Grant. You want the Norway demo. Can I ask him if he can say, I must break you? <laughs> I think that would be. A... I mean, I don't think we should let him in the room with Carl Weathers. I do think that that's probably a safe policy. <laughs> um, in terms of Bayern Munich, I mean, for me, it seems like having a healthy Robert Lewandowski, who scored on a penalty in this game uh, against Union Berlin, helps a lot. And this is where I think the virus might have had a huge impact mm-hmm. on the actual title race because Lewandowski was set to miss a, a pretty severe amount of time and there are real questions about champions league and uh, things like that but now he's he's healthy again and, and Bayern is just Bayern. And that's probably what we should expect. It's also maybe what you should expect when you have a very good center forward. It seems like Dortmund and Bayern have both embraced the idea that if you have a person who can routinely score goals, that tends to be good in terms of winning games. And that is Robert Lewandowski. I did sort of love his penalty even though elaborate run-ups for penalties tend to stress <laughs> me out quite a bit. <laughs> You and Joseph Martinez. Um, <laughs> overall, if, if there's a trend from this weekend, not a great weekend for mm-hmm. Americans, unfortunately. No. We talked about Gia Reyna. Uh, we talked about Weston McKinney. Even uh, Timmy Chandler came on for a cup of coffee and a, and a bad home loss for Eintracht. Um, and even for Tyler Adams, I mean, like, uh, it's it's been tough a little bit for, for Leipzig in the league because they dropped two points at home to Freiburg. And we talk about it in our interview coming up next, but... You know, they're seven points back now of Bayern Munich in the title race. And it wasn't that long ago, at least in league terms, that Leipzig was leading the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. And and so that's a, a little bit concerning. And then 
it's crazy to me, but I, you almost forget that Leipzig is still in the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League. And whenever that starts again, yeah. and you know, we just don't know. But, uh, but Adams talks about that as well. And, and that's a, a pretty impressive feat to, to get to the final eight, to beat Tottenham, to get there. And who knows what might end up happening there. I mean, uh, Tyler Adams wins it all. I think you pretty much just guaranteed it here. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to uh, to keep people from getting to hear the dulcet tones of Tyler Adams. Uh, should, should, should I bid you adieu so you can uh, head off and talk to Tyler? Let's do it. My interview with Tyler Adams. Our guest today is Tyler Adams of the U.S. men's national team and RB Leipzig, which is in the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League. And Tyler Freiburg won one as the German Bundesliga returned this weekend. Tyler, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Maybe it's the times we live in, but I find myself wanting to start like every conversation these days by asking, how are you doing during all of this? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, Obviously, now that football has returned, um, there's a lot of happy people out there. Um, Of course, us being the guinea pig sort of speak to how other leagues and um, teams will go about returning to their respective sports. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm doing a lot better now, now that I'm able to, you know, get back out on the pitch with my teammates and start competing again. Obviously, this week was different than most. Uh, there's the soccer itself, and then there's everything around it. Let's start with the soccer itself. What were your thoughts on your first game back? Yeah, it was an interesting one. Um, we had a uh, a team that, you know, is always difficult for us to play against in Freiburg. So um, for us going into this game, obviously not too much preparation, only uh, a week to 10 days of full team training. Um, so we were, you know, that whole time working on our tactics, starting to have a little bit of a refresher period um, so that we can go into this game, you know, guns blazing, so to speak. Um, and unfortunately, we were only able to take a point away from it after creating a lot of chances. So, you know, from a personal perspective, there's always stuff that you can improve on. But for the first game back, you'll take it and just continue to move on. You played it right wing back. There were no fans in the stadium. Uh, you can hear other people talking during the game. Uh, when you don't have that atmosphere that you typically have in a stadium, are there any specific ways in which the way you play the game itself changes? Not too much. I think everybody uh, knows what soccer was like before there were fans in the stadium. So um, I think that from a from a personal perspective, you know, you always use the fans energy and um, relentlessness to cheer you on um, as a motivational factor to say, OK, I'm going to run these extra couple of yards and I'm going to go a little bit harder into that tackle. Um, but the competitive nature doesn't change. You're going out there, um, you have a job to do, and that's obviously to win games. So um, from my perspective as a natural competitor, um, nothing changes on my end. Um, I think that overall as a team, of course, your morale changes a little bit when you know you don't have the, the 60,000 fans every game cheering you on and, and rooting for you no matter what happens. But um, at the end of the day, there's still business to take care of. Kind of a basic, straightforward question here. Do you feel safe as a player in these games? Yeah, 100%. I think that um, not only what Germany has done outside of football, but now all the precautions that they're taking when the football is coming back. I mean, it's easy to see on TV with the even the people on the sidelines being a, a meter and a half away from each other. You have masks on. Um, there's hand sanitizer things all over the stadium. Um, there's so many little uh, details that you have to follow and that each player has gotten plenty of meetings to, you know, speed up your knowledge about what's going on. And, you know, there's still... Um, 
this sense of safety that has to be taking place no matter if restaurants are open and whatnot. Again, um, you know, football is important that we have it back, but we're going to do it in the safe, safest way possible. So um, there's no, uh, I would say, there's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? There's no sense of, of uncertainty um, within the, the football world in Germany, which is a great feeling. You know, there's never been panic since coronavirus has happened. And I think that's why everyone is so calm with football returning now. What's the strangest part of all this for you as a player? Yeah, I think the weirdest part was, you know, I came off yesterday, I think in the 70th minute, um, and I go to the bench and I'm just trying to grab some water and I have someone come over and say, can you put your mask on, please? And, you know, normally I, I wasn't even thinking. I'm just like, I'm just trying to catch my breath and, and, get a, and get a sip of water and people are telling me to put my mask on. So, of course, that's, that's a little bit strange. It's going to be the new norm for, you know, quite a bit of time now, obviously. Um, but, you know, it's, it's obviously out of everyone's best interest. Are you really not allowed to touch your teammates if you celebrate to celebrate a goal? Yeah, so that that was one of the things that DFL em- emphasized, you know, was once you know, a goal happens, you know, a lot of times guys are running and jumping on each other, hugging each other. Um, but for, for us right now, they said uh, no celebrations, no high fives, um, continue to obviously practice staying away from each other, even when you, you know, you don't have to, if it's an important moment, um, you know, stay the distance away from each other, go back to the midpoint line and, uh, and obviously kick the ball off again. But, you know, whenever there's no need to, to touch each other, they don't want us touching each other. I guess that's just interesting to me because it's not like they're forbidding close marking in the box on corner kicks or set pieces. So like, it just seems odd to me that they'd be like, you can't touch each other in celebrations. Yeah. yeah there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that um, are obviously a little bit strange, right? Because you have the things like no, no celebrations, no touching each other, wearing masks and all this, but we're, we're playing a game. So of course there's going to be contact and, you know, sweat and all these different things, variables involved. But um, I would say that, you know, everything that they're doing is just out of the best interest of the players so, and the safety of everyone. So um, it's easier to follow it and have football back than say, no, I'm going to celebrate with people and I'm not going to play for seven more weeks, you know. <laughs> um, how often are you tested and, and what's that like? Yeah, so it's, it's been really interesting. Um, before they announced the start date of um, obviously when the Bundesliga would open up again and the match days, um, we were tested maybe only – three times, three or four times. And then as soon as they announced that match day and what the guidelines were going to look like, we've been tested every every two days. So um, there's been a lot of tests now. I, th- I want to say we've been tested almost you know, five or six times before the, the kickoff um, of the first match day again resuming. Um, and then we also have to get tested, I think it's two days before the match day with the results coming in the day before um, so that they can say, okay, everyone's clear. We also had to go through that quarantine period um, where you're with your team for a certain amount of time in closed quarters um, and, and the people that have the expectations to maybe be in the stadium on the day, whether it's physios, your psychologists, your doctors, those types of people as well. I mean, I haven't had a test yet. Uh, what are the tests like? Are they invasive or are they actually pretty easy? No, it's, it's really easy. I know that we've had one or two blood tests and then we've also just had basically a swab to your tonsils, uh, kind of like strep throat, and then they put it in a container, send it to the, to the lab, and yeah, it's good to go from there. Okay. Um, I want to actually get into some real detail about this this hygiene protocol and if you could just take me through what you've experienced from the moment you guys resume training to going into that team quarantine yes yeah, so for for me i've had 
um, the luxury, unlike a lot of other people, of having our own rooms uh, within the training ground at Red Bull. So, you know, basically what a normal day looked like for us was, you know, as soon as you walk into the training ground, um, you're straight to your room. And uh, there's basically a 20 minute to 10 minute period before you had to be out on the field. Um, you'd come down from your room or your gear would be outside your room. Um, you'd, you'd get dressed, go downstairs, go train. And as soon as training was over, you'd come in, um, obviously hand sanitize or go straight to your room, um, wash up, and then food would be waiting outside your door um, from our from our chefs there um, that we were able to just take home. So basically there was no time for, um, you know, sitting in the locker room, talking, joking around. It was basically all business and that's kind of what it should be, you know. Um, during these periods of time, you don't want to be sitting with a group of people, joking, in close contact with people. So Red Bull took it really seriously. So basically, you know, they shut down all the areas like our cafeteria, our locker room, the area, the gym, the areas that where a lot of people can touch something, spread things on. Um, and that was obviously before we were all getting tested again and only training in the small groups. And then when uh, team training resumed, um, it's still been the same thing, but a little bit more access to things like the gym so you can do your exercises and stuff like that. Okay. And then in the week before the game, mm -hmm. you had... That was the quarantine right there? So the week before the game, exactly. That was our quarantine period. Um, and I think every team, well, yeah, every team in the Bundesliga had to do the same. Um, but for us, we just stayed at our training ground um, and accessed everything that we needed from there. Trained twice a day, some days, once a day. Um, and then other teams, I think, you know, some of them stayed at hotels. Some of them stayed, yeah, elsewhere. Okay. And so when you go on the road for your next game, how is that going to work? So I... So I'm not 100% sure yet, to be fair with you. Um, we're still waiting, you know, whether we're flying, whether we're driving, what what we're still able to do. I think as of right now, teams have flown um, to the places that when they're playing on the opposite side of the country. Um, so I would assume we fly. Um, obviously, they still want to practice social distancing and whatnot. So I'm not sure if we have to sit a certain distance away from people on the planes definitely wearing masks whenever we're traveling. I know that's one thing that they've emphasized a lot. Um, I'm not sure about gloves and stuff like that, but um, there's a lot of little details that we have to follow. So we're still waiting for what happens, you know, this upcoming week, whether we have to go two days before the game, a day before the game. Um, but we'll be in a hotel, obviously. And then, yeah, the same the same game day precautions as usual. Okay. And, and right now you're actually at home. We're talking on Sunday. You played on Saturday. So they did allow you to go back home. Yeah, so they, they did allow us to go back home um, after, after our game. Um, and then I think that, you know, there will be another or a certain period of time before the next game when you do technically have to quarantine with your team again. Um, whether that's a day before, two days before is still obviously up in the air. Um, but yeah, it was nice to obviously after a week of, you know, being with just your team to come home, sleep in your own bed again, and then, you know, it restarts again for the next week. How fit do you feel like you are compared to before the virus? I feel more fit, personally. Um, obviously, for me, that was kind of like my preseason period now. Uh, to, to be able to run on my own and do things on my own, um, you know, access the training ground when we were obviously able to train in small groups again. Um, so a lot of it was a lot of running, uh, which was, you know, unfortunate to most. But for me, it was something that I felt like I have my body more conditioned now to be able to endure, you know, more games, these three week games that we're going to have now to finish the season out. 
Um, so from a personal perspective, I think it was kind of one of the better things that could have happened to me. Um, overall, of course, you, you don't want to um, put anybody's life in jeopardy or the safety of other people. But um, from a footballer's perspective, I think the people that were have come off of injuries and stuff like that, would this, would, this period would have benefited them. Could you actually just describe what it's like in Leipzig itself as a city right now? Like what's open, what's not, what stage are you guys in? Yeah, so, well, obviously coming off a of quarantine period, it's it's hard to, to tell exactly. But, you know, from my girlfriend's perspective, she's gone into the city and basically said everything is open now. So um, restaurants are, you know, now you're able to go in and sit down. Um, they only have certain tables that you're, you're allowed to sit at. So each table is a certain distance from each person. But they're serving people now, which is a, a really, really good sign. You're able to go in and out of stores, some with masks on, some with masks off. Um, so I think that we're slowly starting to progress more and more. And I think that the sign that football is back and they're allowing people to compete in a sport again, I think that's a positive sign for, you know, regular civilians and pedestrians in, in everyday life. So, um, people are calm about it. People are confident about it. And that's a really good sign. I don't know if you saw, there's this crazy story in Austria where Jesse Marsh, uh, your old coach is coaching where, the first place team has been charged in this scandal that they, I guess, were like working out with too many players together, like before they were supposed to. Really, and and all the all the all the rest of the teams, including Jesse's team, which is in second place right now, like put out a statement together, basically saying this isn't right. Um, that we haven't seen anything like that in the Bundesliga, have we? No, we haven't, and I know that from a. Uh... Uh, a team perspective of ours, um, you know, we were doing a lot of individual workouts um, and before we were able to start training in, in small groups again, um, everything was outside of the training ground. And then obviously Bundesliga allowed, I know before a lot of other places that you're able to train in groups of three or four. Um, and we took full advantage of that, of course, when that, when that was able to, you know, get back out on a pitch and have a ball at our feet. Um, but no, I did not see that in Austria. So that's going to be really interesting to see what happens then with that. Um, you have eight games left in the Bundesliga. You're now in fourth place on 51 points behind Bayern, Dortmund, and Gladbach, but you're not out of the race. What needs to happen in your mind for Leipzig to make a run? Yeah, we're going to need some consistent performances. I think that's the most important thing. You know, games like yesterday, it's hard to, you know, take away one point instead of three when we're on, you know, our home field. Of course, no fans, but we're not going to use that as an excuse. Uh, you still need to, you know, capitalize on the opportunities that we have each game and create so many chances. So um, looking throughout the rest of the season, like you said, we're definitely not out of it. We have a title on our mind still, and it's definitely uh, capable with the team that we have. So even with these three game weeks, lack of fitness, um, I would say that the depth of our team is now going to um, hopefully put us over the top and being able to rotate players. It's almost easy to forget. You guys are in the quarterfinals of Champions League still after eliminating Tottenham. Do you have any sense of when Champions League might start up again? I have the same sense as you right now. It's, it's crazy <laughs> that, you know, you, 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 I guess we can't get too ahead of ourselves. Obviously, all the respective leagues need to finish before they're going to say, yeah, you're going to be able to start traveling within and out of countries and borders open. There's so many different regulations that have to be allowed before we're able to obviously finish Champions League. Um, you know, whether they put the games in a neutral spot, obviously without fans now, how would that work? Like the home and away aggregate, um, all those sort of things. But, you know, from from my perspective, I would say 
I have a weird feeling that maybe, you know, they do just one game throughout the rest of the thing and then have a final um, just to have it finished because, you know, sooner than later, the, the longer and longer you wait, the sooner the next Champions League is going to happen. And obviously a lot of people want to compete and, uh, and, and start it over. So uh, it will be interesting to see how that wraps up. I mean, that's pretty rarefied air to be in the final eight of Champions League uh, in Europe. Have you allowed yourself to think about what might happen if you just keep going and going and maybe even put yourself in a position to win the Champions League? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such an interesting topic for us, especially because, you know, now as a team that, you know, was not expected to make it that far, you almost have this picture in your mind of like an Ajax last year, right? Where, you know, you can really make a run at this thing. And now... How does, you know, not having fans and not having these big atmospheres that you dream of playing in, but for those teams that you're playing against, like a, a Barcelona, Real Madrid, how does that affect them? So, um, it, it, you know, these games almost feel like preseason games in a sense, because, you know, you always go to a preseason game, you never have fans there, um, and you, you want the fans, you crave the fans, but, you know, how a Champions League game would play out now when you walk out to the to the anthem and you don't have fans cheering for you. Um, I think that would definitely, you know, throw things in our favor a little bit. So it would be interesting. We've talked before on, on previous interviews about your coach, Julian Nagelsmann. He's just 32 years old. He's kind of the Doogie Hauser MD of world soccer coaches, just in terms of his age and how much respect he has. Um, we've talked about how he's worked with you, how he doesn't give the team the lineup until 45 minutes before the game, which I think is interesting. But I have a different question this time. Nagelsmann never played at a high level himself. He had to he had injuries and had to get out of the sport. Uh, and then he started his coaching mm-hmm. path. But how does that work when for the players when you have a coach who who never played at a high level? How does he go about getting the respect that he clearly has from his players? Yeah, I would say that he's got the respect, uh, obviously, when he was coaching at Hoffenheim of how to get players to buy into something um, and really believe in in what he's doing. So I'd say, you know, we had the pleasure of playing against Hoffenheim last year when when we were being coached by another team, but we already knew that he was going to be the coach going into the next season. So at that point, when you're when you're breaking down video against the Hoffenheim team, you're already looking at what his tactics are and you know how successful he was with. Um, the teams that he had in Hoffenheim um, are are just a, a glimpse of what he's going to be capable of, obviously, with the, the talent that we have at, at Leipzig. So um, I think that a lot of, of young players know that he's developed some really, really good players, especially out of Hoffenheim. Um, and I think that's why um, everyone kind of buys into what he's doing now in Leipzig. I do have one question. Do you do you guys as players ever give Nagelsmann trouble about the t-shirts that he wears like on the sideline during games? <laughs> because like yesterday he's wearing like a Nike Air t-shirt out there and he looked like he was going to play a game of pickup basketball or something. Like <laughs> you guys no, ever <laughs> We haven't we haven't quite talked to him about that. I'll leave his his fashion sense to him and I'll I'll worry about mine. <laughs> hey, this is Daryl jumping in. I hope you enjoyed Grant's interview with Tyler Adams so far. There is more to the interview, but you'll have to go and subscribe to Football with Grant Wall to hear the rest of the interview. In the rest of the interview, Tyler Adams talks about the U.S. men's national team, um, his ambitions to captain the U.S. men's national team one day, and what he thinks is going to happen in World Cup qualifying in the light of coronavirus interrupting international soccer.
So I apologize for cutting this episode um, a little short, but I hope you understand that we've worked very hard on producing the new show, Football with Grant Wall. And we hope if you've listened this far and you've enjoyed it, then you'd be willing to go and find the new podcast and hit that subscribe button. You can find it in Apple Podcasts, in Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, pretty much any podcast player you can name. You can go and subscribe there. Whatever you're listening to right now, whatever you're using to listen to this show right now, Go and find football, F-U-T-B-O-L, with Grant Wall, and you can listen to the rest of this Tyler Adams interview. Thank you for listening. The Total Soccer Show will be back tomorrow. Joe Lowry from MLS Assist is going to be interviewing Luchi Gonzalez, head coach of FC Dallas, and you know that's going to be good stuff.